Before we get started with the show today, I just want to remind everyone to go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. You can set up a recurring monthly donation or a single-time donation for literally any amount. But for listeners who donate above $10 a month or above $30 for a single-time donation, we will be thanking you directly on the show. So once again, that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the audio environment that artists create in their studios. What enhances their workflow in terms of music, talk, or silence? A few weeks ago, Rebecca posed this question on Facebook, and as often happens when we ask listeners to weigh in, there were many interesting and passionate responses. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. I'm always struck by how strongly artists feel about their studio environments and in lots of ways, what works, what doesn't, uh, what rituals or other parts of their approach in their studio, what, what is important. And it's a topic we probably want to expand on in other ways um, in future podcasts. But today it's all about what is heard or not heard during work sessions in the studio. And I guess to start out for myself, I, I'm not a very adamant person about this. I'm kind of eclectic about what music I'm playing or once in a while a radio program. Uh, sometimes I, I do want something on, but it usually doesn't matter hugely what it is. I, and in fact, I usually just prefer silence. And, um, one personal aspect for me is that I, I have a significant hearing loss. And so when I'm in the studio without my hearing aids on, there's this kind of nice muffled feeling, um, because I, I'm not really hearing ambient sound. And that seems to kind of help my concentration. So a lot of times I'm just in my slightly deaf little bubble, and that works for me. Um, I don't really have a good sound system in either of my studios. So if I do play music, it's usually old CDs I have around or some type of classical music on the radio. Uh, sometimes I, I do want to hear certain music, and I, I'll think of it. But it's sort of like um, in the same vein as you might think, oh, you know, a snack would be nice right now. So it's not it's not something that drives my work. It's not tied to any particular process or to the work itself. And this is this is my own approach to it. And so I hadn't really been thinking of it as a podcast topic Um but I found out that I'm probably a little bit unusual in my sort of lack of caring about this. And the people who answered my Facebook post really were pretty passionate about music or other sounds and what's going on in their studio. In some cases, it plays a big role in their work. And I, I came to this topic actually because I was emailing uh, about other things with the artist Eve Ozer. And she was commenting that listening to podcasts through her earbuds, and she was specific about that, has an interesting effect. And I'm just going to read what she wrote to me. She said, I listen to podcasts when I'm painting, and I've found that I take more chances while listening. I suspect this is because language is mostly a left brain activity. Therefore, my inner critic is busy listening to the podcast, and that allows my more creative right side to paint with more heart than head. 
and I wonder if other artists experience the same thing. I have a stereo system in my studio, and I don't experience the same split brain activity when I use that. The music just fades into the background while I work, and my inner critic is loud and clear. Also, when I listen to music through my earbuds, it just becomes a background. That's with music. I only experience the left side engagement while listening to podcasts through my earbuds. <laughs> She's quite specific about that. I've concluded it's the intimacy of isolating any extraneous noise via the earbuds and the eavesdropping aspect like you're listening to a private conversation. And she she concluded by saying she knows she's not qualified to comment on this in a scientific way, but you know, it makes sense. And I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, there's definitely something to just kind of isolating yourself from everything else that's going on. And um, I think that the earbuds in particular, which she kind of zeroes in on, um, I really do have that effect. Uh, I, I when I was working at the winery and, and pruning grapevines for eight hours a day, um, I would always have a podcast on and always in my earbuds. And I was able to just kind of zone out into the work. And, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I, th I think that, uh, for me personally, um, podcasts and earbuds are, are the way that I isolate myself from everything else that's going on and close off the outside mm -hmm. world. So. Yeah. It's an interesting connection. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be reading some of the comments people made later and, and some people do like podcasts or talk kind of in the background, but I think this aspect of really isolating it is quite interesting. Um, so an aspect of this topic that has been studied by scientists has to do with the visible effects of sound vibrations on physical matter. And the field of study is called uh, cymatics. And it's a study that examines uh, the, the way that uh, certain tones form distinct intricate geometric shapes or can even affect the flow of water. Um, I'm pretty sure this is legitimate science, uh, maybe not accepted by everybody, but it's certainly been demonstrated. Um, the experiments using sand on a vibrating metal plate were first developed by a man called Ernest uh, Kolodny in the 18th century. And he put sand, but it also works with something like salt, um, on a plate and then played different uh, musical tones. And it creates different patterns on the plate, so it's clearly affecting this physical matter and the vibration the the patterns change every time the tone is changed or the pitch and the higher the pitch is the more complex pattern in the sand so these are documented and it's it's continued to be used today i mean you can there, there are actually devices you can buy like this that show this effect. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen that demonstrated at a yeah. museum before it's a real thing. in like a little display where you could play with it. Right, and and water is also water has also been shown to be affected by sound. Um, uh, molecules forming different geometric patterns when exposed to music, and this relates to the experiments of a uh, a doctor Masuro Emoto. Um, he has beautiful photographs of water molecules when subjected to different types of music. And um, there's also a, some videos online showing how a stream of water can be affected by different pitches of sound. Yeah, I believe his work was featured in uh, in the film, What the Bleep Do We Know? I, it probably was. Yeah, I know he's been around for a while. And again, he's, he's somewhat criticized by other scientists, um, but the photographs appear to be quite real and and he would show different types of music and the effect on these water droplets so uh you know 
the effect of hard metal versus classical. You could see the difference in the patterning. There's a lot of this stuff that's interesting, if not conclusive. Yeah. So I guess there's some dispute about what all this means in scientific terms, but there's a lot of evidence that sounds do matter. And especially in terms of water, I find that so interesting because our bodies are about 60% water. So all that to say, um, it was a nice introduction into thinking about uh, the comments that people made on Facebook because they were often quite specific and very much affecting people's work. So the question that I actually asked, and I'll just read that, uh, this was what I posted on Facebook. I'm working on an episode about the kind of sound or lack of sound that you like to have in your studio. Sounds that require your attention or those that are in the background or silence. Um, this question is not about specific music, podcasts, etc., although generalities such as Baroque music or news radio are great. And I got many, many comments on this. <laughs> and I, I, I really like, I appreciate everybody who answered. Let me say that first of all. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell some quotes and say what people said. I'm just using first names because I failed to get permission from everybody to read out their full name on the podcast. But these are real people on Facebook. You can read the post if you're interested. And, um, and I do appreciate it. And I always love it when people jump in with ideas, uh, for us and for, for everyone. So I kind of went through all the answers and I found several, directions that people are talking about in terms of sound. And this is not just music, but podcasts and other types of sound. And these are, I'll just read them quickly, then I'll talk about them a little more in depth. And one was a way of stopping the thought process. And that's kind of what Eve was talking about in the quote I read earlier, stopping that inner chatter, inner critic, or whatever it might be, in order to focus your head elsewhere. Um, some people use uh, sound as only as background, but they find it relaxing or just setting a certain mood in the studio. Uh, for some people, it adds significant energy or stimulation or mood of some type. It, it's kind of a step up. It's like, this is important. This is something in my consciousness. And then there are people who, for them, whatever they're hearing is an actual part of the work. It's very specific. It involves certain types of music for different um, things they're working on or different stages of what they're working on. And they're manipulating this. They're like, you know, choosing the sound to enhance whatever they're doing. So that's even more focus on what's happening. Um, and then there were a lot of people said, well, they're kind of a little bit more like me, like, well, I don't know. It varies from day to day. Um, and, you know, maybe one day I have silence, maybe another day I want some type of music. And then speaking of silence, definitely there were people who prefer either silence or the ambient sounds like nature or whatever's happening around the outside of the studio, uh, could be an urban environment or whatever. So I thought that was an interesting range of answers. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it relates to how people like to fall asleep. Oh. Because, you know, people like different, some people need a fan on, some people need music on or something wow. going on in the background. Some people need absolute silence in order to go to sleep. Yeah, it could very well be because it's it's the way whatever our particular brains are, you know, tuned into that or not tuned in, right? you know, and some people can fall asleep anywhere and it doesn't really matter what's going on. So, 
yeah, how how specific we are about the audio input in our in our world and the studio as a very specific special environment in which we really can control uh, what we listen to for the most part. Well, and, and in both cases, you're trying to enter a very specific mental state mm-hmm. that yeah. allows you to do what, whether it's falling asleep or whether it's creating artwork, Yeah, um, you know, it's you're very, trying to achieve like a very specific mental and state. And I think, yeah, it's very personal, very individualized. And um, that's, that's what interests me about this and makes me think, well, if you're, if you're habitually in the zone of, well, I don't really care what I put on like I am, <laughs> maybe this is this might be an interesting thing to start noticing if I play a certain type of music or how I might um, be affected. At the same time, I do love the kind of muffled silence that I normally work in, and this is my zone. So everybody's kind of different that way. Um, anyway... Just to go into some of these ideas in a little more detail. So the first one about stopping the thought process, um, you're being taken out of your head. Um, An artist named Nancy comments that she does like to do this, but if the podcast that she's listening to is very detailed, it doesn't work. So she doesn't want to put too much focus on what's happening, but uh, likes that certain level of distraction. Uh, Max dislikes having news on. It's like, why do I want to listen to that when I'm painting? Uh, Or other verbal commentary like storytelling or podcasts. Um, And he prefers specific types of music usually. So this is definitely an individual uh, preference. Uh, An artist named Jack commented that he considers painting to be a meditative state. And so he's in order to reach that meditative state, which I think you could infer was without that inner chatter or stopping the thought process, he likes, um, he described as abstract, atonal, arrhythmic music. So it's creating a certain sound environment that um, puts him in that state of mind. One of our loyal listeners, Anya, likes podcasts, including this one, um, and audio books, but she finds um, music to be too stimulating. She she does want to... Um, unfocus her mind. And so she doesn't want that sort of input. Um, And an artist named Pam mentions that she may not have anything on, maybe not playing any music at all. And this is a quote, until the voices in my head start to get too loud. (laughs) There's a point where she says, okay, I want some distraction. (laughs) Yeah, it seems to me like um, listening to like the news would probably be just about the worst thing for most people. Cause it's, it's always so negative. You know, there's that old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. And unless you're creating artwork, that's very much bloody. Well, there <laughs> were, there were definitely artists that listened to the news and yeah. maybe at a certain time of day, maybe one of them mentioned doing it a uh, first thing in the morning, I guess with coffee, just kind of, I'm entering the world after my night and this is a way to become engaged yeah. again. I suppose it's it's maybe it's just something that I can't really relate to. And, and for me, it's like when I'm working on something, I I don't want to be thinking about the outside world. I'm escaping from all that, yeah. you know. And, um, and that's, again, these individual responses were pretty interesting because yeah. all these people make art and they all make good art right, and they're right. all involved. And it's like, what works for you doesn't work for me. So, So the second kind of category that came up was people that use sound in their studio as background. And Kathy and Anne both mentioned that as they're working, whatever they have on just sort of fades away. 
they they start with something, but at some point they're not listening to it. It's just background. Um, an artist named Cheryl uh, likes something soft in the background. It sets a certain mood. And so these are ways of having audio on, but it's not intrusive in any way. And it's it's not really acting on you. It's just going on in the background. A uh, third category is some putting on something intentionally to set to create energy or any type of mood uh, in in the studio in general. So, um, artist named Joan plays. Uh, she likes classical and Gregorian chant of uh, kind of spiritual based music, and this she said it quote unquote elevates the work. It affects her state of mind. She feels uplifted by this. Um, an artist named Pam uh, appreciates music or stimulating talk radio for energy. I'm not sure it's the news, but something on. <laughs> um, and and she mentioned dancing and around the room. And I had asked that in the original question. I didn't read that part, but it's like, do you ever dance in your studio? And some of these, uh, some of the people answered definitely move around um, and do whatever. The, the body movement is part of this. They're responding to the music. So these are people that like to be uh, affected in terms of mood and particularly in terms of energetic mood. I guess there were quite a few that mentions that. Anne likes music on during her warming up stage and uh, creating some energy as she's getting going. Charlotte prefers classical music to set a relaxing mood. So these are, you know, conscious manipulation of the music um, to suit what, what a person feels like they need uh, for their to support their work. And then there's this interesting category of artists that the music actually becomes part of the work in some way. They're very sensitive to what they're listening to. Uh, several artists, including Diane and Susan, play uh, they play a piece that has entered a particular painting in some way, has affected the painting. And they may play that over and over the whole time they're working on the painting. And obviously, it's going to have an effect on the painting. It's part of the process to have this particular type of music or even a particular piece over and over. Um, yeah, it becomes almost like a, a theme for the painting. Yeah, and, and often might enter the title. Um, it's it's a soundscape that influences the actual painting. Much in the same way that uh, a soundtrack is yeah. used in a in a motion picture. Yeah. Do, they, do they ever play that music at their openings? Or um, I think somebody did mention that. Yeah, and uh, so there's this. I think it's such an interesting um, tie. And in fact, yes, uh, there was an artist named Neem who mentioned a show that was built around the music of a particular blues guitarist. And I I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neem, but I think she did play that as part of her show. It might be an interesting collaboration to work with like a local musician yeah. and have that person playing music at your opening. And then, yeah. you know, you could be listening to their music while you're creating the art. And, you know, and I've heard of those kind of shows related to written word and poetry. And right, things, right. But that's kind of a really cool idea. You know, for for people that are in this kind of mode, to actually yeah collaborate with a musician. Well, any any uh, listener who wants to to use that idea, go for it. Uh, just tell people that you heard <laughs> heard it on the Messy Studio. Oh yeah, I was listening to the Messy Studio podcast, and they had this great idea. And they'll say, "What's that? That sounds great. I must listen." <laughs> um, and the uh, artist named Max said, "What I'm." What I am listening to that especially moves me often 
directly influences color choices and the creation of visual movement, so much so that I have named numerous paintings after the song or composition that significantly impacted what I produced. So that kind of sums up that approach, I think. And uh, an artist named Nancy just briefly mentioned that a particular type of music or piece would take her back to a time, to an experience she had that was important to her. And I think we've all had that experience, right? You you hear a song or you hear a musical piece and you're transported back to some earlier time. And this is another way, I suppose, of consciously, if you're if you're working with a memory or you're working with a particular era in your life and bringing it into your work, then playing that type of music could you know, have a really interesting impact, I would think. The, the next category... Um, are people that it's pretty much part of that one I just mentioned. They're they're very specific about types of music, but it depends on what or how they're working specific kinds of music for a certain times. Another clear acknowledgement that it definitely affects them. Uh, Julie likes energetic music at the beginning and more meditative as she finishes a painting as, at painting as she's getting into that state of contemplation. Uh, Joe mentions a range of sound input from, he's the one that likes news at the start of the day, uh, but later he plays jazz while he's actually painting and likes silence when he's just contemplating or studying the work. Well, and there's a big difference between that and listening to news all day long. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just get your little fix in the morning. And yeah, then, yeah. Um, I think we all kind of have a tendency to do that or at night. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to check in sometime. And if you're in your studio all day, I mean, it's just a way to start the day, I guess. Um and there were several artists that mentioned uh, connecting their musical choices to aspects of their work. Uh, Renee, Kathleen, and Michael all mentioned that this could affect things like size, scale, color, uh, media in Michael and Kathleen's case. So they're, they're really matching the music to the specific thing they're working on. Um, Elizabeth enjoys passive learning via podcast and radio when she's not painting. She's in the studio. She makes um, brushes. That's what she does as part of her art practice and sells them. And so she chooses um, to listen to podcasts and radio when she's doing that task, but some other thing when she's painting, she'd have something else on. So these are people that it's very much like the category before, but they're making conscious choices according to exactly what they're doing. Um, maybe not starting with the music, though. It seems like the people in the last category of something, the music is actually, um, you know, instigating the work in a way. It's 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 the catalyst, whereas these other folks are more like, let's let's see what I have here that I can put on while I'm doing this particular thing. And then there's the last category of silence. Um, an artist named Denise really doesn't want any distractions. She's in the zone. She's painting. She prefers silence. Um, and Kim has a studio that is in nature, and so she really likes this kind of med meditative aspect of nature sounds that are going on around her that she can hear through through her windows and really would not put other music on when those when that's happening. Um, an artist named Anna wants absolute silence when painting uh, when painting, although she can use she will use music doing other things in the studio, but time to paint, it's silent. Um, and there was, so that kind of runs through the different categories, a kind of a range of using it or just having it on or whatever or nothing. Um, and an artist named Susan mentioned something that I think is kind of interesting that she's 
takes a class or I think it's I think it was a life drawing class and the, the opera is being played and she doesn't like that um, and it it brought up this idea that I've run into as a workshop instructor and people will say can we put some music on I'm like yeah if you find the music that everybody wants to hear we'll put it on <laughs> it is really hard obviously to find something that works for everybody and you might think it was classical music but somebody else might prefer silence well, and when I was taking art classes in high school and in college, there were there were probably about a half dozen albums that like every single art class I was in were playing these. Same. <laughs> they were the safe ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was all like Nora Jones and Jack Johnson uh -huh. and easy listening. Yeah, yeah. And and I I got so sick of that music. Yeah. But <laughs> by, by, by the time I got through college, I was just I was, <laughs> no more Nora Jones. I never Jones. never wanted to listen to Nora Jones or Jack Johnson ever again. <laughs> And, and they're not they're not bad albums, you know, they're talented musicians, but, but overdone. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that a lot of classrooms have a tendency to go for like kind of the same set oh, yeah, of music and, because it's safe. And, and on the occasions when I have played music because everybody seemed to want it, say in a small class, you know, I would like look at everything I have and say, well, maybe this would do and you know, but there are those people that really like silence and and this is also a problem in a workshop. And, and more than once when I'm teaching, I've had students come to me and say, could you ask people to tone down the chatter? It's a difficulty of working in a workshop. People start talking to one another. A little bit of that is fine or quietly, but it can get a little bit raucous. And anybody who prefers silence when they work, that is really difficult. And so... Um, it's part of the camaraderie of the class, but at some point the instructor has to say, um, tone it down, please. So it all kind of gets down to creating, if you're in a situation where you can't control the sound environment around you, then it seems like earbuds are the answer or sound canceling earphones if you, if you really like that silence. Yeah. Um, and, and even without playing something in earbuds, they still do kind of cancel out the sound I, at least a lot of them do they, they also signal to anybody who wants to start chatting with you that, that you don't want to talk to them <laughs> is that why you wear them around the house Ross? that's yes that's also why i wear them in public <laughs> when i go to the grocery store i'm like yeah i got my earbuds in I'm, yeah yeah do not talk to me uh, and i have done that also when i travel i'll just put earbuds in even if yeah. there's nothing on yeah every, I, everywhere i go unless i'm unless i'm having a conversation with you i got earbuds in even if there's nothing playing i always got earbuds in now i know um yeah so anyway that i found that whole topic interesting and um i'm not sure what what listeners will get out of that except that we are very individual in our preferences they're all valid they all work for us maybe there's some ideas here that you might like to try if you haven't given any thought to what you're doing with your sound and the way that you can control the sound in the studio um yeah so i i think that it's probably a, a really good idea for people if they haven't thought about it before to to think about how they can construct their environment to more facilitate their creative process yeah and, and think about what is it that you you like i mean we all have habits and maybe some of these habits are just i suspect my own use of sound or not sound is habit more than anything i just really haven't focused on it very much right but, but to read about people who who allow such uh uh, allow it to influence them so much is is fascinating to me. And then combined with that scientific stuff that we talked about earlier, there's something to this. Right. And, and if you haven't thought about how sound affects your environment in the past, it may be a way in which you can really push your work a little bit 
in in different directions, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and really get the most out of out of your creative process. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a pretty good way to wrap it up. I mean, I think it, it can potentially at least be one more tool in the toolbox, right? The sound and and it's something that a lot of us don't really think about. So. Yeah. Right. Well, that about wraps up this episode of the Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com, as well as www.rebeccacroll.com, and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.